I'm Josh Escovito with Weintraub Tobin. And I'm Scott Hervey from Weintraub Tobin. The Gucci family is not a fan of Ridley Scott's new film, House of Gucci, and they've made their disdain for that film very public. Does the Gucci family have grounds for a defamation claim against Ridley Scott? This will be the topic for today's installment of The Briefing by the IP Loblaw. The House of Gucci is based on the 2001 Sarah Gay Forden book, The House of Gucci, a sensational story of murder, madness, glamour, and greed. The film follows Patricia Reggiani, who is played by Lady Gaga, and Maurizio Gucci, who is played by Adam Driver, as uh, their romance transforms into a fight for control of the Italian fashion brand Gucci and the eventual assassination of Maurizio. After the film was released, the heirs of the former Gucci chairman, Aldo Gucci, issued a statement to Italian media claiming that the film, quote, conveys a narrative that is anything but true, close quote. The Gucci family claims that the film portrays the family business as having a chauvinistic corporate culture and the portrayal of members of the Gucci family as thugs who are ignorant and insensitive to the world around them. The statement ends with, the Gucci family reserving the right to take any action necessary to protect the name, image, and dignity of themselves and their loved ones. Seems like a lawsuit may be coming. And I understand that the Gucci family complained that the producers of the film never even reached out to them. From what I can tell, that seems to be the case. Aren't most of the main characters in the film dead? Maurizio Gucci was killed in 1995. Aldo Gucci, portrayed by Al Pacino in the film, Maurizio's uncle, died in 1990. Rodolfo Gucci, Maurizio's father, died in 1983. And Gallo Gucci, Maurizio's cousin, died in 1995. The only person still alive is Patrizia Gucci, the former wife of Maurizio and the person convicted for his murder. In America, only a living person can initiate a defamation claim for damages to their reputation. That's true, Josh. I don't know what the laws of Italy are, and since I haven't seen the film, I don't know if there are any other Gucci family members who are still alive who could be portrayed in the film in a defamatory manner. Also, if we were only going to talk about the main characters depicted in the film, this would be a really short episode of The Briefing. True. Scott, any idea how true the film was to its source material? The author of the book, Sarah Gay Forden, had covered the Italian fashion industry for women's wear daily for 15 years and is now with Bloomberg News. Her book was the result of significant research, including interviews with over 100 people, including Gucci family members and Gucci employees. Yeah, the book author actually contributed to a piece for USA Today in which she points out where the film deviated from the facts as laid out in her book. I read that article and there really was no smoking gun there. That's interesting. There is a risk of triggering a libel claim when it comes to portraying a real life person in an unfavorable manner in a work of fiction based on real life events. We've spoken before about these inherent risks associated with productions of docudramas. In California, libel is defined by Civil Code Section 45 as a false and unprivileged publication by writing, printing, picture, effigy, or other fixed representation to the eye, which exposes any person to hatred, contempt, ridicule, obloquy, or which causes him to be shunned or avoided, or which has a tendency to injure him in his occupation. In most states, libel is defined similarly. 
In order to establish libel, a plaintiff will have to establish that the statements were defamatory, that the statements were published to third parties, that the statements were false, and that it was reasonably understood by the third parties that the statements were about the plaintiff. Where the plaintiff is a public figure, as would be the case with the subjects of the Gucci family, the plaintiff must also prove by clear and convincing evidence that the statement was made with actual malice, meaning that the defendant knew the statement was false or had serious doubts about the truth of the statement. That's right. And as we know from Olivia de Havilland's lawsuit against FX over her portrayal in the docudrama Feud, Betty and Joan, the Gucci family would have to demonstrate that Ridley Scott either deliberately portrayed the Gucci family members in an unequivocal fashion in the hopes of insinuating a defamatory import to the viewer, or that Scott knew or acted in reckless disregard of whether the way in which he portrayed the Gucci family members would be interpreted by the average viewer as defamatory statements of fact. In that case, the court said that viewers are generally familiar with dramatized fact-based movies and miniseries in which scenes, conversations, and even characters are fictionalized and imagined. And this played a part in the court's determination that an average viewer would not interpret the statement attributed to de Havilland and Feud as being a defamatory statement of fact. However, this movie, The House of Gucci, is based on a book that on its very cover says that it's a true story. This would seem to leave little ground for the filmmaker to argue that the film is fictionalized or a dramatization, and all viewers would understand that. From all counts, that doesn't seem to be where Scott intends to go. In a recent interview, Scott stood behind his film, saying that while including some flourish necessary for the telling of a story that spans many years, it is essentially the true facts of the story. But even with this, the court would not require that every word uttered by Scott's characters on screen be 100% true and accurate. Similar to what the court noted in Fairstein versus Netflix, it's reasonable to expect that the average viewer of House of Gucci would understand that the dialogue and the dramatization is not a verbatim reca uh, recounting of the real life participants and rather is intended to capture the essence of their words and their deeds. So. Given that, if the family uh, intended to pursue a claim, the court would, as they did in Fairstein versus Netflix, separate the parts of the film that merely show routine and prosaic activities that lack a plausible defamatory meaning, or those parts uh, that convey the subjective opinion of the defendants and therefore could not be understood by the average viewer to be a literal recounting of words or actions of a specific Gucci family member, from those words and actions that are attributed to those family members that are susceptible to a defamatory interpretation from the perspective of the average viewer. And then to advance the claim, the Gucci family would also have to point out specific instances in the film that were susceptible to a defamatory interpretation. To date, from what I have read, Aside from complaining about Al Pacino's depiction of Aldo Gucci, it seems that the Gucci family has offered very little in the way of specifying what parts of the film are defamatory. Family complained about Al Pacino. Did they forget that he's Michael Corleone? Forget about Michael Corleone. It's Tony Montana that I would be concerned about. <laughs> yeah, I suppose that's fair, Scott. Thanks, Josh. Thanks. Thanks for tuning in to this installment of The Briefing by the IP Law Blog. Don't forget to subscribe to our YouTube channel and podcast. And for additional content, visit our website at theiplawblog.com. Thank you. <laughs>